You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and welcome to another exciting episode. Today, we are going to be exploring an album that I got to pick, which is the Magical Mystery Tour by The Beatles. This is going to be a family-heavy episode, because I think a lot of people will be familiar with the music. But there's a lot of reasons why I picked this album and wanted to share it, and so that's very exciting for me. Tell us a little bit about where we are, though, Abigail. Yeah. So the reason why I chose this brewery, we're at Tripping Animals Brewing in Doral, Florida, um, is because famously Magical Mystery Tour has a song about a very trippy walrus. Um, So we are here at Tripping Animals tripping out with some other animals in beer form while we listen to the trippy walrus in music form. And we're very lucky that one of the owners of the brewery is going to sit down with us here in a minute, Ignacio Montenegro, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the brewery. So let's get into the interview. Let's do the interview. with Ignacio Montenegro, the owner and CMO of the brewery. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you guys for, for coming to the brewery and, and, check, and check us out, you know, that, that means a lot. Well, I, we must confess that I had, at least I have been here a couple of times before. Now, mostly during COVID, so I had to sneak in, buy stuff and skedaddle out. So this is very uh, first time that I've got to sit down in, in the bar itself. Uh, so I'm, this is awesome. I'm glad to hear. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. I know uh, you're a fairly new bar. How long have you guys been down here? So we have been open since uh, 2018, late 2018, actually. So we have been around already for two years and change. Always in this space? Is Always in this space. Excellent. We have never been anywhere else. We have been in Doral, yeah, since we opened, and, and we love it out here. Yeah, it's the few times I've been out here, it's easy to get to, and it's a very cool space. The inside's gorgeous. Of course, we're sitting outside today under the flight path of the Miami International Airport, so if you hear any background noise, uh, that's why that's going on. Uh, you guys have been doing a lot of really cool um, brewing down here. What what do you think your brewing philosophy is? What do you what, What's your... Uh, well... I think the brewing philosophy is, is innovation. We love to experiment and always be creative in, in any aspect from from the label of, of our beers to the product itself. We love to, you know, innovate and all the constant constantly be changing and doing new stuff all the time, you know, to to keep it excited. It's excited for us and I think it's also excited for the clientele so something that we that we love you know is there a particular style of beer that you guys like to to make the best oh well we love lagers the most okay well we love to drink them (laughs) (laughs) we love lager the most but yeah we do we do a lot of sours we love we love to play with fruits we love to do hoppy stuff we love i mean all the very different hops i mean that we do and then we yeah we we are increasing our barrel age program so we are going to be doing more barrel-aged stouts coming soon. Wow. So that, that's very exciting, too. Wow. Are you doing that on-premises? You're doing the aging here on-premises? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, right here, it's a yeah. pretty big space, so it looks like you got the room. Yeah, we have we have plenty of space, yeah. Now, the question I have to ask is, what's the, the animal theme all about? I, I notice on a lot of your labels, you have some really cool-looking artwork with animals. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I bought in cans has had great artwork of animals. I have one set in my fridge still with an elephant on it that I bought that I still haven't had yet. Cheers so, to that. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about why the animal thing. Well, uh, well, we always wanted to do something with animals. We love animals. I think Florida is is, is filled with animals, so why not? For us, it makes sense. And, and yeah, we wanted to have a branding that, 
that each beer is represented by an animal and then the tripping size coming from our very own country we are from venezuela born and raised and um for us the word tripping is mean having a great time oh. so every time we're having a beer obviously we're having a blast so we went through that and then the animals you know did the did the magic at the end and you know it makes it more fun so the reason we picked tripping animals particularly today is because we're going to be discussing the magical mystery tour by the beatles and there's a very famous song with a very famous tripping animal on it called i am the walrus and so that's why we picked that and so obviously in the u.s tripping and maybe england for that degree means a little bit different than just having a good time we love it <laughs> <laughs> we and love i noticed it. you did a collaboration beer I saw the poster on your website, uh, Musical Walruses, am I saying that right? Or uh, Am I right about that? Yeah, you're right, you're right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you had a little bit of that in stock. It would make perfect sense for today. But yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, that's why we selected, we wanted to come down here uh, and talk to you and try to make that all a big theme. So I have to ask the obvious question, when did you first hear the Beatles? Well, that was back home in Venezuela, obviously. I probably was, I don't know. My tenth, eleventh, yeah, it wasn't. Wow. Young. Yeah, I love the Beatles. My family loved the Beatles too, and that that label that was a collaboration with our good friends, Definitive, and they're up in in Maine. But uh, that's not the first label we have done for the Beatles. We did an Octopus, as you know. The, uh, oh. Uh, oh. But we have to change the name for Octopus Backyard. Oh, oh they, yeah. They, uh, did they? Really? Yeah, because another brewery has already done the name like Octopus Garden. So okay. Oh, that's interesting. We went to Octopus Barnyard, wow. which probably doesn't make sense, but yeah, that was a beer inspired by music, and in this case, obviously the Beatles. How about that? That's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So we made a good pick coming down here. <laughs> probably the best. Yeah. How about Magical Mystery Tour? You have any thoughts on that? It's kind of an odd album, but any thoughts on that? I love it. Yeah, probably we're gonna have some some stuff coming up soon. Really? Yeah, oh. we love to. We, we we are a brewery that does a lot of series inspired by different things, in terms of it's either or a movie or a TV show, or a band, or animals from or countries uh, or you know culture, different things and and we would love to always. I mean, we want to do one that is related with music, straight up music. So it's gonna be a series inspired by different artists. The, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, wow. Do, I'll yeah. to keep my eye out. I know that, that sounds one. perfect for <laughs> <Yeah>. us, doesn't <laughs> it? We may have to come back. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, sure. So, what are, your, what are some of your favorite things that are on tap right now? If we were to build a flight for this podcast recording, what would you recommend that we have? I would highly recommend, well, obviously, our lagers. And then, yeah, we have a, a big variety of fruits right now, a lot of different sours on draft. And then I will go with a hoppy. Between those three, it's a sunny day here in Florida, and I think it's perfect. Also, I will add a stout. The weather right now is perfect for it. Okay, uh, good point. Which is crazy. The, there's people in hoodies. <laughs> I in, know. On I April know. here in Miami, so why not a stout? It's crazy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So we'll, I'm going to go with the theory that everything should have an animal on the label, since we're at tripping animals and we're talking about yeah. my friend the walrus. Uh, at least 98 percent of our beer has an animal on the label. Very good. Yeah. Well, Ignacio, I really appreciate you coming out here. I really appreciate you allowing us to do this today. No, I, and vice versa, man. Like 
I was very stoked and happy and excited to have you guys Good. over. Good, great. You know. Well, we're, we're we're just a couple of amateurs. You know, we know enough to be dangerous, but hopefully, we'll we'll do you some justice here. We, we are the same. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you would like to plug, either personally or with regards to the brewery, social media, or anything else you're working on? Well, yeah, I'm working on social media. Well, I manage all social media. I do all the marketing, image, branding. I'm 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 a marketing creative of of tripping animals and yeah I I will say that you know if you have a dream just follow it and and don't listen to anybody just keep pounding and pounding and <laughs> uh, and believe until you make it because you can yeah I think there's a story there you're not sharing about <laughs> yeah no well no there's stories yeah of course but you know like we believe on, on what we had obviously with a little bit of support here and there the people that love us and the people that believe in the trip you know in this trip that we're having and, and without the support of our community and the people from Miami and South Florida and Florida in general it's like we couldn't be here you know and well, I can tell you that I came down the first time because I heard nothing but good things and, and brought my brother down. About a year ago, we were supposed to be on a baseball trip. COVID melted everything down, as you know, and, and we ended up being in the Everglades one day because you were still allowed to be out in the middle of nowhere. And on our way home, we went to get we went on a crowler run, and this was one I said, nope, this is one we have to hit. I've heard nothing but good stuff, and I was so delighted with what I got that day, and I and came back and have gotten stuff in the past and really, really enjoy everything thank, I've had Thank here. you so much. You see, so those are the little things that make us, you know, keep going and pounding, you know, and keep fighting for, for our dream, which is making, you know, high-quality products, you know, with an amazing and different branding that is fun and... You know, we are here for everybody, and I believe and I hope everybody can find and feel like home when they're here at the brewery, because that's our goal. And yeah, everyone's welcome. Thank you so much for coming out, Ignacio. We appreciate cheers. it. Uh, cheers to you guys. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah. So, thanks once more to Ignacio. We really appreciate him sitting down with us. Um, I have selected a flight of four beers, and I'm going to tell you which animals we're going to be tripping with today, Dad. Yeah, I'm ready. So we are drinking Hound of Hades, which oh. is a Cerberus. We're going to be drinking Ruby Red Grapefruit Tartlets, Ooh, wow. which is a camel. <laughs> we're going to be drinking Everhaze, which is an alligator. Well, that's fitting. And we're going to be drinking Bandito, which is a raccoon. Very cool. Yes. Yeah, the artwork here is fabulous. It is very, very, very cool. Fabulous. Very cool. We may have to use a little of the artwork here as we do a promotional album for this. Uh, oh, episode. maybe. So that would be fun. But of course, the most tripping animal of all, of course, is the walrus, which is why I picked this album. So, just to give you a little thumbnail about why I picked this, this is actually the first album I ever purchased wow. on my own in 1980. And uh, as we go through this, I'm going to share some stories as to why that came to be. But let me give you a little backstory. So I had two very good friends in high school, both named Steve, Steve Moore and Steve Gimber. And the three of us were what you would call the art geeks of our class. Now, we only had a class of 35 people. We went to an all-boys uh, college prep high school called okay. St. Augustine Prep. that was actually run by Augustinian monks. Oh, my god! Yes, it's exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, I chose to go there because I was interested in becoming a doctor and I wanted to go, you know, do a very good academic school. And this was the best academic school in the area. And, uh, but I met these two friends because 
we all shared an interest in art and literature and film, actually. So Steve Moore, who I'm going to just refer to as Moore from now on, just to keep the distinction, uh, was a, an artist, a cartoonist. He made Super 8 movies, and he actually, at this point, is an animator and a storyboard artist in Los Angeles to this day. He's directed some stuff, including all of the other reindeer. So he's um, had famous. a famous career in the arts. He's my, my other, most famous friend. He's your most famous friend. And you refer to him as Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve, yes. Uh, my other friend, Steve Gimber, was brilliant. He's a uh, college professor now at uh, Westchester University, just outside Philadelphia, PhD in history. Oh, but wow. he was the actor of the bunch. He was and is a brilliant, brilliant actor. So the three of us, you know, just threw together to do a bunch of artistic endeavors when we were in high school. So when we were juniors, now I'm talking about 79, fall of 79 into the spring of 1980, we were uh, wow. named. Wow! Did you just reveal your age? I kind of. <laughs> uh, we were juniors in high school, and we had um, a literature professor, Vince Farinaccio, who uh, really was a great mentor to all of us. And so I was named the editor in chief of the high school newspaper as a junior, and Steve Moore was uh, named the editor of the literary magazine called Vicissitudes, for short. It was actually vicissitudinous versimilitude or something along those lines. What does vicissitudes mean? Vicissitudes means changes. Okay. So we just you know, identified it as vicissitudes. He was named the editor-in-chief of the magazine. and uh, But everybody worked on everything. Steve Moore and Steve Gibber wrote for the newspaper, and I, of course, worked on the magazine. So in our junior year... Uh, the magazine had been kind of in disarray, and uh, Steve Moore produced a fabulous issue called The Yellow Magazine, another Beatles-themed thing. Mm-hmm. And the only reason it was called that is because he painted the cover, which was gorgeous. He did a yellow submarine-style cover of wow. our high school, basically. And so the Apple Bonkers were high school basketball players, and and Vince Farinaccio was the glove, the flying glove. And oh, wow. it was very, very cool. So we had a color cover, which cost a fortune, we blew a lot of money on that magazine, but we also sold out. It was the first issue to ever sell out. Now, we only printed 100 copies. Wow. I mean, the school was only probably, at the time, you know, like 150 students mm-hmm. tops. So that we did in the first semester of our junior year. Oh, my gosh. And so we had to have a second semester project, right. which this would have been like the first a year budget one. in a long time that had to have, that would have had two magazines in the same year. So, because we'd blown so much money on the first one, we did a, uh, we decided we were going to do a, what we call, what we jokingly refer to as a low budget issue. Um, and it was a gothic issue. We kind of wrote suspense stories like Edgar Allan Poe style stories. They were, you know, not dark. I wouldn't say they were dark, but they were. Well, easy to do that in black and white, too. Yes. And so everything <laughs> was black and white. The cover was black and white. Yeah. Everything was done on the cheap uh, or designed to look cheap intentionally. You know, it was a lot of artistic choices. We took it to the headmaster, and he uh, refused to print it. And as a result of that, um, Steve Moore decided he no longer wanted to work on the magazine. He was very upset by that because we put a lot of work into that. It didn't. It it was low budget as a joke in the sense that it was designed to look low budget. But we worked our butts off on this thing. So why did he refuse to print it? I'm not sure. He said it was too dark, that it was like he didn't want to do it because it was such a negative issue. Uh, but really, it was like Edgar Allan Poe style suspense. It wasn't like, it wasn't blood and gore. Like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Nightmare on Elm Street kind of style. It was written to be suspenseful. Yeah. Um, but of course, it looked weird because it was that low budget sure. sort of style to it. And, but we had a theory that 
he just didn't want to spend the money because we'd spent so much money on the first issue. And he was like, one issue a year is good enough. But he didn't really say that. So Steve Moore quit. And Steve Gibber and I were then named the co-editors of the magazine heading into our senior year, uh, 1980 into 81. And we had no idea what to do. We floundered. <laughs> we were just dying on the vine. No idea how to begin the process. And by the way, we lost our best artist. We had no artist and we had no concept of what we wanted to do. And then a very strange thing happened in December of 1980. So about halfway through our senior year, John Lennon was assassinated in New York. And Vince Farinaccio, our, our literature professor and mentor, was a huge John Lennon fan. He was crushed. I didn't know a ton about John Lennon. I really didn't. I, I knew limited stuff about the Beatles. But it was really, uh, it was really a, a, a time where I got to hear a lot of Beatles music on the radio as they discussed you know, John Lennon and his career and kind of lived through that thing in December of 1980. We used to go to this theater down at the Jersey Shore. It took us almost an hour to get there called the Little Arts Theater. We used to go see all kinds of weird double feature movies. And... Uh, Steve and Steve and I, the two, of, the three of us would go down there. But we would meet in the middle because we all came from different cities mm-hmm. and drive down together for like two-thirds of the trip. So we get there one night. We're going down to see some double feature. Who knows what it was? We used to go see the weirdest things. You know, <laughs> it's just crazy. Like one night we saw um, um, the old George Romero Night of the Living Dead paired with Freaks. Oh. Another night. We actually saw at one point the Magical Mystery Tour film would Let It Be. We saw a lot of great stuff down there. I don't remember what we were seeing, but it was a dark winter night, December 1980. We're meeting in a parking lot in Millville, New Jersey to drive down there. And Steve Moore gets out of his car and he's carrying a cassette player. And I'm like, what? What? What on earth is this? He gets in a car and he goes, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. And he, he turns on the cassette player in the car. Now, it's a, it, we're, the three of us are huddled around in this dark, cold car. And he plays the following. imagine how creepy that was yeah. in a car in New Jersey in December. It was creepy here. Um, I had no idea what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. So the story goes, Steve's brother had a eight-track tapes of the Beatles albums, and he had a copy of Magical Mystery Tour, which either dropped or knocked off the cabinet or something, and it broke apart. And so he took the thing and he re-spooled everything and put it all back together, right? And when he did it, he put it in the machine to play it, and it played backwards. So Steve heard this and he went and recorded the entire Magical Mystery Tour album backwards. Oh, wow. And so he jumps in a car and he's playing his thing. Now, remember, this is in the aftermath of John Lennon's death. 
and we start listening to this thing and all of a sudden we're hearing all kinds of hidden messages and all this kind of weirdness <laughs> in that and so as a result of that like i'd never heard this album forwards <laughs> like right. i only heard at this point i've only heard this album in its entirety backwards <laughs> like we drove all the way down to the theater listen to this thing backwards we drove back from the theater listening to it again we got to the parking lot where our cars where the cars were where we were all split up we sat in the car for like another hour listening to it and oh all God. of a sudden we were hearing things in there about how and i'll play some maybe later about how uh john you know, this was all about John's death. Like he predicted his own death, or did he? Was it all a fake? And all those kind. Of, we were we were going off on these bizarre kind of conspiracy tangents in the car that night. So the very next chance I got, I drove over to the record store at the mall, and I bought this album as my very first album that I ever purchased wow. on my own, the Magical Mystery Tour, so that I could hear it forwards. <laughs> And so we're going <laughs> to... Finally. <laughs> Finally. So this is the album that I picked for that reason, because uh, when I finish the story and tell you how this led to such a creative um, uh, such a creative surge between myself and Gimber, and yes, even Mr. Moore, who quit the magazine, uh, made a stunning comeback to help participate in an art project that came really out of this record, and also listening to it backwards. Very weird. So, anyway, that's my tripping animal story. Oh, my gosh. Now, what's your tripping animal story? Um, well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm pretty sure listening to albums backwards is how teens get into Satanism. So, you really dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, it only led us to a literary <laughs> magazine. <laughs> well, I mean, that's basically Satanism, right? Uh, Art- yeah. Artisticness. I guess it, at St. Augustine Prep in 1981, the three kids who were involved in the art projects were considered Satanists. Yeah, yes. yeah that's a little satanic. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, should we start with our first beer? I, we got to start with our first beer. I know, beer. I'm getting thirsty. That story made me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting with Hound of Hades. Hound of Hades. Hound of Hades is a sour ale conditioned with marshmallows, raspberries, sour cherry, and boysenberries. This sounds like a winner. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it might be. Mmm. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Very fruity. It's very fruity. It's tart, for sure. It is tart. I don't tart. get a lot of the marshmallow yet. I don't either. Maybe as it warms up. So we'll let it sit there as we... Uh, as we start to roll through the album, because we got once again we're uh, we're beer heavy and I don't have a ton and of songs on this. So by the way, just before we get started on the album, if you don't mind, let me uh, point of order. Let me tell you a little bit about the album because I think it's interesting. So this album was released in 1967, mm-hmm. late in the year. Uh, in England, it was released as an EP because this was the soundtrack for a made-for-TV movie that the Beatles did. Mm-hmm. So they shot this movie. The whole concept was we were just going to go on a wacky kind of psychedelic road trip in a bus. They didn't really have a script. They were just kind of winging it. Oh, interesting. And and the songs were written for it. So basically, it's a string of music videos, like kind of what you would see on MTV now, uh, pieced together with some kind of interstitial stuff Hmm. the interstitial stuff's not very good they would have been better served with a script but the music (laughs) videos are really kind of interesting and fun and in fact um, I'll tell you uh, uh, as we go through this the ones I remember very vividly because I have seen the film I got lucky enough to see the film and like I said in there in about 1981 but the um, the film got panned yeah. It had a screening date in the U.S. It didn't even end up airing in the U.S. Really? That's how bad oh, wow. it was perceived to be. 
But the album, the EP in England, uh, did very well. And then in the U.S., Capitol actually, they're never happy. They want more. <laughs> so they wanted an album for the U.S. So what they did was on the backside, the second half of the album, they put singles that had been released, uh, including a single that was um, a promotional single for this particular project that did not appear in the movie. So the backside of the album is five singles, mm-hmm. all very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the front side is all the songs from the soundtrack of the film. It's not a very uniform sounding album. It's no, kind of all not. it's kind of all over it the is. place, you know, it musically. Is. So it's it sounds like a collection of singles. And when you watch the movie, that even the stuff that was in the soundtrack itself plays like a bunch of singles. Like I said, it's it's a string of music videos with kind of filler. Yeah, it's, I was tr- I was trying to see if I could figure out the story. And now that you're telling me there really wasn't one, there wasn't a story. It I've makes seen more it. sense to me. I've seen it. It's very weird, and there's a reason that it hasn't even like you can't find it. It's hard to mm-hmm. see. They kind of skipped over. You know, they've been going back. It's been 50 years now. They've been going back and doing the 50th anniversary release of Sgt. Pepper's oh, and the sure. 50th anniversary release of the White Album. They blew right past the Magical Mystery oh, Tour. No. No, don't, don't even address it. <laughs> you know, we're, we're on to working on the 50th anniversary really? of Let It Be. Wow. And they just skipped right over it. But I will tell you, I will tell you that when, so we've always talked about the discrepancy between the Beatles albums in England and then what happened with Capitol Records over mm-hmm. here. And so once again, they release an EP in England, Capitol demands an album, they put this thing together. In the 1980s, when they put all the Beatles material on CD for the first time, they made a commitment to do just the British albums. They weren't going to do the Capitol stuff. So what was released on CD in the 80s was the collection of Beatles albums the way they were released in England. Which That's was cool. very cool. Yeah, that no, is it was cool. very good. It was good. It unified... It's as they intended. As know? they were intended to be. With one exception. Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mystery Tour. They were like, not worth it. <laughs> yeah. No, Magical Mystery Tour, they released the Capitol album instead of the British EP. And so with that, I'm going to turn over the music review to you. Obviously, yes. this is, I know you're going to be familiar with a lot of these songs, but um, maybe not the collection or the, or the story behind it. Yeah. Um, I was familiar with the majority of the songs. Um, and because of the fact that this really is kind of a side one, side two album, I picked, instead of doing a top three for the album, I picked a side one favorite and a side two favorite. Oh, that's fun. Um, so that, you know, comparing apples and apples, not apples and oranges. Um, so track one is called Magical Mystery Tour, and I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of that. Magical Mystery Tour. Yes, indeed. So, I do think that this is one of the Beatles' most famous psychedelic albums. I mean, the cover is very psychedelic. For sure. The song, I Am the Walrus, I just remember, like, being in middle school and being like, listening to this song is what drugs feel like. (laughs) That's funny. That was my first thought. I mean, like, it's such a bizarre song. It is. And I think, I mean, as I was trying to sort of 
in my head when I was listening to this album put together the story of the film, which as we now know, there isn't one. Um, but when I was imagining it, the only songs that kind of fit into the story I was putting into my head were this one, Magical Mystery Tour, Flying, Blue Jay Way, and I Am the Walrus. And it does kind of feel like a progression of never having done a drug to trying a drug to being drugged out. Like the oh, feels of yeah, the yeah, songs. Yeah. Right, I got you. Uh, it's interesting. Sort of go along what was the that order again spectrum. On that? Magical Mystery Tour. Right. Flying. Right. Blue Jay Way. Okay. And I Am the Walrus. All right. I was trying to figure out if that was because the EP has a different order. Oh, is that right? I'm going to go look at the order of the songs because that's an interesting uh, That's an interesting call. That's smart. I mean, it, they're talking about, you know, they're going to they're gonna take you on a Magical Mystery Tour. Right. And right. you just got to trust them. Right. You know, they're going to give you some something to put on your right, tongue. Right. Right. And you just got to go <laughs> along with it. Um. Except there was a bunch of elderly people on a bus. I mean, if you watch the movie, it's so weird. <laughs> but like, but like in the sixties, people got on buses and just like did drugs and rode around. Like, well, wait, I'm thing. gonna tell you a funny story. Okay, if I, if I can, you may. So, uh, Steve and Steve and I, Gimber and Moore and I, mm-hmm. went to London as seniors in high school in probably April of 1981. Mm-hmm. And Steve, of course, shot a Super 8 movie of this. Cool. And he called it Introducing Your Bus Driver, Bob, because it was basically us on a bus touring England, and he was trying to do what was our version of the Magical Mystery Tour. Oh, interesting. I like that concept, though, that the progression of the songs leads you through the entire trip. Yes. Yes. Well, the, right. and, and, you know. We assume. We assume. And if not for the two interstitial songs, The Fool on the Hill and Your Mother Should Know. Right. It would, it would feel very much like that, but those songs kind of throw you off your game. But again, I'll have to look at the order because maybe that's not the order in England that's on the EP. They may be those four songs in a row. I have to go back and look. So. Well, good speaking call. of, let's listen to a little bit of The Fool on the Hill. Let's. Day after day Alone on a hill the man with the foolish grin is keeping perfectly still But nobody wants to know him They can see that he's just a fool And he never gives an answer But the fool on the hill Sees the sun going down And the eyes in his head See the world spinning round well on our way through this flight i think i like this song i do too i've always liked this song i even though it doesn't really fit with the plot that i invented in my head for this album i think it's very pretty and it's my side one runner up it's your side one runner up yeah so not my favorite on side one huh but okay. but my runner up just because i like the song again it doesn't fit into the right. the plot um, but I think it's a very nice song. And it's interesting that um, it was the one song you really called out from the Paul McCartney tour that you yeah. saw that he played yeah. from the Beatles era for the first time. He, you know, I went and looked at the playlist on that uh, tour, the date he played in North Carolina that mm-hmm. day. And he played a lot of Beatles songs, mm-hmm. but a lot of them were the standard things. You know, it was the Let It Be's and the, and the Hey Jude's. I think what stood out about Fool on the Hill was, wow, that's a really... 
that's an obscure reach to play live in a concert, and that's why it really stood out to me. It's like I go to concerts a lot of times, and I, I had there's a moment it was like, oh, this was the reason I was here. Oh, you know, and this yeah. was I feel like that day the Fool on the Hill was the reason I was there. Of all the songs that he played, it really is the one that stood out to me. Oh. I got it was very it was a very emotional moment for me. Sort of like you know when I talked about the seeing. Um, uh, Promised Land at the Springsteen concert yeah. was the emotional moment for me at that particular show. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was Fool on the Hill. And, yeah. and I do, I agree. I like the song. It sounds very much like calliope music, you know, round and round and round. And there's that kind of organ thing that makes me think, some, think of merry-go-rounds. Um, which I think is an interesting play. Interesting. Yeah, that's that jumped it's out at me. It's almost like a trippy carousel ride. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and it's kind of reminiscent in, in that way to, it's like a uh, companion piece to say, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite on Sgt. Peppers in that way. But uh, yeah, I've always, I've always liked bring that up. I've always liked that song. Yeah, I like that song a lot. Uh, yeah, one of my faves. Really so. Yeah, I was, I was primed to pay extra attention to it because of our discussion on... Um, the Paul McCartney album that yeah, we did. Yeah, right, right, right. No, very good song. So uh, I think before we move on musically, I we better rate this. Uh, we're getting we're falling behind again. Uh, we are. Always. Although I do have some long stories coming up. So oh, okay, good. So don't we use up. We will have time to drink later. Don't use up all your <laughs> beer just yet. So I like this one very much. I do too. I um, my opinions of it haven't really changed. I still don't really taste the marshmallow that much, um, but I don't. I don't miss it, you know. It's very, very strongly a red fruit flavor, which I yeah. really, really like. And it's, um, it's not just sour like some sours are. No, it has no. like a depth to it, which I really enjoy. Yeah. So, I think I attribute that to the cherry. I think every time uh, one of these sours is made with cherry, I always like it. Interesting. And, um, and this one had cherries in it. I, I'm going to give this one a four on Untapped. Um, because of that, I agree with you. It's not super sweet. It's 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 tart and fruity. Yep. And that's one of my favorite. You know. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. So you're you're not going to go wrong with that. Uh, interestingly enough, some sweetness on that. I might have gone up a little higher because I do find that when I get a sour that has a little sweet character to it, particularly at the end, that I that I bump those ratings up. Yeah. I well, I'm going to give this a four point two five on Untapped. Big rating. So forgive me because I have to grab the sheet to write this down so we can untap oh, yes, later. You're so right. I'll wait and do that while we're uh, while we're. Uh, well, how about we try the second beer here? Okay, so our next beer is the Ruby Red Grapefruit Tartlet. Oh, that's a good idea. I picked this one because, well, it sounded amazing, but also because the camel on the label is just a very captivating. We have to grab picture. some pictures of those and put yeah, them up on our will. photo album for this yes, one. Yeah, absolutely, because, because the camel is, is very funky looking. So um, this is a sour ale conditioned on ruby red grapefruit, Madagascar vanilla, and milk sugar. So maybe a little sweetness for you. Let me take a sip. Well, it's a little, It's the sweetness is subtle. It's not a heavy sweet. It's a very similar to the last one, although, you know, different fruits, a little oh, more citrusy. I like this a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's very good. It's not, so obviously I love sours. Right. But if something is too sour, it's just hard to drink. It's like a slog to get through it. It's almost like having something too hoppy or too heavy, boozy. Right, right. Too sour. I mean, you wouldn't think of sour as like a difficult style of beer to drink. But if it's too sour, it's just hard to drink. And this is, I think, the perfect amount of sour. It's because it's light. 
It's like a it light. Is. It's a tart. Yeah, and I use well. That's the that's the yes. language I use. If if there's a cutoff in my hand and it's a subjective cutoff, I can't tell you or describe what it is. <laughs> but I, if I put tart, it's what you just described, and if I put sour. It's pushed past that point. Interesting. I agree with you 100. percent And I would call this. I still would call this one tart. I, would I don't. Too. I don't call this one sour. Yeah. There is a little more. There's a more citrus character to it. It's obviously not a red fruit kind of taste, but that's fine. And uh, there is a little subtle sweetness to it, but it's very subtle. But again, this is very similar to the first one. Uh, you know, rating wise, I'm probably going to end up in the same place because it's very good, like the last one. So. Uh, I, and I it's interesting you said, oh, you don't think a sour beer would be hard to drink. You know, when you tell people you're going to have a sour beer, you're just an average beer drinker who doesn't do a lot of craft beer kind of stuff. That's not true. They go, sour beer? What are you talking about? They make a face. They don't like... It's, oh, well, I've been told I don't like beer because I like sour beers because sour beers don't taste like beer. Right, right. <laughs> and, I, and I go... I'm like, uh, yes, sure, a yeah. fair critique. <laughs> I don't know about that. What do you have? A, a, like, I feel like that way about milkshake IPAs. Mm. I feel like I'm drinking fruit juice yeah, for breakfast. Sure. And I don't, you know, they're not... Right. I mean, they're in that beer category because they've been, you know, technically brewed. But they're way off the chart as far as, like... The fact that I love those as much as I love a good IPA is very weird to people. Yeah. But it's like within those categories, you know. So, again, I like a good sour beer. A good, yeah. I, I should say I like a good tart beer. I'm with you. I don't like them super sour. But uh, but this one is very good. Um, it's I'm going to I'm gonna end up giving it a, a really high rating. I think I am, too. I don't get any sweetness like you do, but um, I do get a little bit of the vanilla. I get a very subtle vanilla, which is interesting. And uh, maybe that's what I'm calling sweet. I, I don't. I, I don't really taste vanilla. So tell us about um, track three. Track three. While I get down and get the notes, so I can write down our ratings from the first beer. Track three is called Flying, and I think this one is appropriately next in the sort of narrative arc that I have invented for this album. <laughs> That and is I fun. played the only lyrics in the song. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> it is largely an instrumental song. The only vocalizations are the la, 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 la. I think in, on some of the album art, they parenthetically call it an instrumental. So it's interesting there's oh, any that, that there's any lyrics at all. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I, I think this is a cool song. Oh, I like it. I um, like the song. It's, you know, it's short it's repetitive i you know i don't know that musically it's very challenging um but i think it fits nicely into the again the arc that i the arc that you blah 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 um and in my head this is at the point where you know you're on the tour you're you're starting to be convinced of what's going on you're meeting the people you're getting to feel a little more comfortable um and the next song is where it really kicks up a notch. Interesting. So just a quick, um, 
I think the order, and, and I'd have to look this up, I think this was the last song on the EP and probably was the end credits. But I can't. I would have to look that up to confirm really? that. I think so. How? Like, why would they change it so radically for the U.S. version? Because Capitol just did whatever they whatever wanted they to do. Wanted. Yeah, they, you know, they set it up as an album, did whatever they wanted to do. So, That's so um, interesting. But I'm going to have to look now. I've I've committed to that. I know. Story. Now I'm very curious. Yeah, and the problem is that I'm, you know, my memory is not what it used to be. So I may be misremembering. Is your memory almost full? It, it's almost full. <laughs> And look, I'm wearing vintage That's clothes. That's a Paul McCartney reference. I'm wearing vintage <laughs> clothes even as we speak. So um, I will, I promise you, I will look that up. Okay. I, I I may have to dig my phone out to do it because I don't think I printed that section of the of the notes, but I'll, I'll check. So. Okay. But yeah, I like that song. I do want to say, I think the track lengths on this album are nearly perfect. I mean, they are yeah, great. they're all relatively short. They're they're kind of pop songs. There's only one long one, which we're gonna we're gonna get to here in a few minutes. Certainly, we are. And uh, and everything else is like the three to four minutes and out yeah. that a pop song it's would perfect. require. Yeah, that's perfect. I agree. All right, let's move on to Blue Jay Way. I have a lot to say about that one. Well, it only goes to show Very, very strange song. I find this song extremely ominous. Yeah. I think it has a very dark vibe. It does. So, first I have to make something clear. Mostly for you, but also for the audience. And that is I've never done psychedelics. Let's just get that on the table. (laughs) Okay. This is what I imagine if you've, like, taken psychedelics. The feeling of anticipation, like before they kick in and you don't know what's going to happen, especially if you're doing them for the first time, you have no idea what to expect. You've heard all these things. It could go wrong. It could go right. I imagine it could be a little scary. And that is what this song to me feels like. It's like things are starting to maybe get a little fuzzy around the edges and you don't know what's about to happen. And it's, it's, it's spooky. And that's what—that's the vibe of this song. Well, and famously, the Beatles took a lot of psychedelics in this era when they wrote this music, like including Sgt. Pepper's, including. Oh, know, of course, so, yes. So yeah, I think you're feeling a lot of that. What they experienced in, the, in that uh, artistically in music. But at this point in their psychedelic journey, they were well experienced. Right. They would have had to be remembering what it was like. So do you know what this song is about? I don't think I do. Okay, so George Harrison was renting a house in Los Angeles on a street called Blue Jay Way. Mm -hmm. And he was waiting for a friend to come up who was having trouble finding the house because it was foggy. That's the entire intention of the song. And 
that's a classic Harrison move <laughs> is to like take the simplest thing and make this big weird architecture out of it and so here you are having all this it's this ominous and it's this and it's that it is. it's a dude who can't find a house in the Hollywood Hills uh, sure, in, because of the fog sure but when it's foggy in the Hollywood Hills and you yeah. can drive off of the mountain the side of the road yeah, at any but, minute like yeah, that's yeah, ominous yeah but you understand what I'm saying like yeah. it was a very simple story it's sure. like Oh, Mundane. my friend couldn't find the house. Let me write a really cool song about it. The other one that's like that, just as a reference, is he wrote this great song on the White Album, um, um, the Savoy Truffle. Oh, I love and the, the Savoy Well, the Savoy Truffle. Truffle is about a box of chocolates, yes. right? He just, he just names, names the chocolates, yeah. and then, you know, you have to have Green them all pulled out. Tangerine. Right. And then he makes the joke <laughs> of, you have to have them all pulled out after the Savoy Truffle, and that's his teeth. Yes. You know, so that's the joke. Yeah. And it's this great song about a box of chocolates. And this is a really interesting, cool song about a guy who just can't find the house on an afternoon in L.A. It's so funny to mm-hmm. me. And you have all these weird vibes about, this is what I think. It's like taking psychedelics. and It's all, <laughs> you know, it's a musical journey that he's put together over a very simple topic. That's the thing about a great songwriter, right? They take a very simple thing like that and they can make this whole world out of it. Something as stupid as, I can't find, where are you? I can't find you. It's just very cool. So, well, by the way, I've looked up uh, in the interim, I've looked up the order of the songs on the EP, and they're very bizarre. It starts oh. off with the Magical Mystery Tour, and then it's Your Mother Should Know, okay. followed by I Am the Walrus. Uh, the next song is The Fool on the Hill, followed by Flying, and then Blue Jay Way. And that's how the album plays out. I'm sure that's the order of the songs in the film. But I always thought that the uh, flying song was the last song and, and went over the end credits. And I've seen the movie and don't remember, so who are we kidding? I mean, that's not how, would I, how I would have sequenced it. But also, this isn't how I would have sequenced it. So Right, right. I had heard this song before in a very bizarre place. Can you guess where? I'm going to guess that, that you, because you like that movie where they did the Beatles. What was that movie called? That you like, Across the Universe... Where they yes. had, I guess they kind of covered all the Beatles songs in there somehow. Um, you're making a face like that's the wrong guess, but no. I, I do know that you like that yeah, film. No, that is a good guess, but not the right guess. Okay. I did love that movie, and I listened to the soundtrack a whole bunch. Um, I actually heard this song on the Beatles Love soundtrack. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. So there was a Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas that you actually Still saw. There. Still there. Um, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll go It's got a it. permanent residence there, I think, for as long as they want to be there. The soundtrack is very cool. It's very well done. Very cool. I mean, it's, it's you know, they just took Beatles songs, but they took the instrumentation tracks and warped them and remixed them and played yeah. some things backwards. Like, yes. like Sun well, King is backwards. Nick Nuss is on. Anyway, so this song, Blue Jay Way, was... Um, medleyized at the end of something and then it goes immediately into being for the benefit of Mr. Kite um, right. which you're absolutely right that is another very trippy song but interestingly over the music of Blue Jay Way they play the lyrics to Nowhere Man oh wow so this song came on and I was like he's a real no- wait a minute that's not right. right right because this is not you know this is not one of the better known Beatles songs and I had only ever heard it with Nowhere Man's lyrics on the love soundtrack so it was a very um, strange and interesting experience to hear it in its to hear it as it was intended with yes. its actual lyrics <laughs> and <laughs> to not hear coming, it in the wild and not coming off of somewhere and immediately yes, going into right. being for the benefit of Mr. Kite 
I really like that love soundtrack. That would have been I a good too. one to do uh, if you were going to do a Beatles album because it wasn't a traditional Beatles album. We could have had a lot of fun discussing that. So I'm going to I'm going to table that one. I'm going to put let me write a note in my book of magical albums. I'm not going to tell you that now, but uh, because that might be a fun one to do sometime, just because of the way they did uh, reconstruct, deconstruct, and reconstruct songs, mixed songs that had similar tempos, played some things backwards to line them up. And, uh, and then I saw the show, and it all works, you know, it's all done to play the visuals. And so mm-hmm. even though it's great as a soundtrack, then when you go see it live and you see all the visual stuff that goes with that, uh, that's a pretty amazing show uh, to see if you get a chance to do it. It's at the Mirage in Las Vegas still, um, and uh, it's been there for a very long time. And I don't see it going anywhere for a very long time. Yeah. It's a very popular show out there. Well, and I... I think I only got into the soundtrack because you and mom went and brought back, you know, a CD copy of the soundtrack. So I probably heard it first, you know, you guys listening to it. And then I got absolutely obsessed with it. I think I bought the album well before I saw the show. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wanted to hear it. I'd heard such amazing things about it. And I think I bought the album well before I saw the show. Okay. And so, and then to see it with the visuals was just that much. It's, it's like, you know. It's like going from 10 to 11, oh. as they say. Yes, this one's got 11. <laughs> as they say. Uh, but no, it's a great album. Um, let's do Your Mother Should Know and then rate our second beer. That's a good plan. Okay, excellent. Here is a little bit of track five, Your Mother Should Know. Let's all get up and dance to a song that was a hit before your mother was born. Though she was born. Very, uh, very fun song. I, I like find this song. song. It's interesting. I in the film they do this like an old uh, musical number from an old film. Oh, interesting. So it's like a song and dance thing. They're yeah. coming down steps. They're in uniform tuxedos. Oh, cool. There's a whole like a musical number going on. It's very uh, kind of uh, uh, 1940s musical style mm-hmm. uh, and it's a lot of fun when you watch it that way mm-hmm. too uh, so I that is one of the two sequences that stands out in my mind from watching the movie interesting you know I only remember like really only remember two pieces yeah. of the film and yeah. this is one of them because yeah. I thought it was kind of fun it is that they were and you got what's interesting about that is I was doing the math on this right so this is an album that I bought in 1980 that was 13 years old Okay. I want to put that in perspective for you right now. You were talking about magic when we did the Springsteen episode. That's only 14 years old. Oh, sure. We were talking about uh, REM's uh, uh, Accelerate. That's only 12 years old. Wow. So the problem is that I was just the right age for it to be outside of my outside of my known uh, yeah. consciousness, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I was six when the album came out. Now I'm in high school rediscovering it because it was just outside my frame of reference. Right. Whereas you remember Magic, you were more of a teenager. Yeah. You remember some of these other albums. But the but the amount of years, is it's not that far. No. Like, for me to buy an album in 1980, it's only 13 years old. I mean, for at that point, Let It Be is only 10 years old. And for these guys in the 60s... Writing for something that was in the fifties or forties is not that old. We right. think of it like, oh, it's so retro right. that he's writing this kind of song and dance sure. thing. And there's out there's songs like this on the White Album too that sound like, you know, like 
Martha my dear's got a kind of an old yes, school kind of a does. crooner style to it and you go he was just exploring with music that was like the last generation's yes. music but it really wasn't that ancient it's just like a uh, 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 kind of a nod to something that was just just slightly removed from when they were like they changed the whole world of music right and now they're acknowledging some of the other stuff that was there before they were there right and this is one of those songs that they do uh, and there's a handful in their catalog that really reflects that I like this song because of that I like it too it's it's boppy it's fun it's simple it's repetitive the co- it opens with the chorus yeah which is an interesting which style is interesting. right always fun to go with the chorus first I don't know I, agree. I don't know if you remember this so in eighth grade I briefly briefly took guitar lessons oh I remember no I I, I know you remember that part um, I just tripped on the guitar yesterday I never really <laughs> took to it um, but anyway this was the first song I was assigned really to learn how to play because the chords are very simple and it's like three strums and then move to the next chord three strums and then move to the next chord like it's, it's bum, very bum, easy bum, 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 bum. yeah I know. yeah very yeah. easy yeah. so i'm listening to it i'm like ah i vaguely vaguely remember <laughs> that's funny that is so funny you know moving my fingers on the frets <laughs> mm. let's finish up our ruby oh, red grapefruit i don't have a whole lot left to i finish. do not either again uh a little more citrusy than the last one. I taste a little more sweetness. This hasn't changed much as it's warmed up here for me. Um, yeah, me and, neither. And, uh, but I like it a lot. I'm giving it a four. I am also giving it a four. Which means it was a little less than the last a one. A little less than the last one just because I liked the depth of the red fruit flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but still a very good beer. Right up my alley. And I enjoyed it greatly. Well... I will write those down when we jump to the next song because I can't leave the microphone and lean down and get the binder. <laughs> we're sharing we're in, headphones today. We're in tight quarters today. <laughs> and if I could get a selfie of this eventually for the uh, for the photo album, I will do that. Uh, but for right now, I'm, I'm locked and loaded with a headphone in one ear and a microphone in my mouth, and I can't get to the binder. Let's take a sip of the next one. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, and then we can talk about I Am The Walrus. I know you have a lot to oh. say about that one. Oh. Bear with me. What are we having next? We are having Everhaze. So I picked this one for you, Dad. Me? Yes. Ooh. This is a New England IPA oh. brewed with cashmere, citra, and amarillo hops. Oh, my. I'm going to like this one. Now, I'm not sure you've ever had cashmere hops or at least the name has never jumped out at me so what was the animal on the label this is an alligator this was the alligator yeah and it's a big fat alligator you're gonna like that one. Oh, i do like it i do like it it's only a mild hoppiness very mild hoppiness very juicy a lot of juice very on the, juicy a lot of juice on the end and it's really good and not overly citrus like it's a citrus juice that they've used but it's not like they didn't use well, the or rind. Or, well, I'm guessing. Could be right? the citra hops. Yeah, that's true too. Could be the citra hops. I still. But if you're going to truncate the hops on a on a hazy or juicy IPA, you usually do that with fruit juice. Yeah, right. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this in this case, I believe they went with a citrus fruit juice, but they didn't use the whole rind. You know how you put the rind in it, oh, and it gets that really bitter yeah. kind of what what's the zesty taste? The pith. And it's too much for me sometimes. Yeah. But this is just the juice, so it's it's a mellow finish. It's not a real pungent finish. It's very it's tasty. It's very tasty. Yeah, I like, I like this. 
tripping animals. We did. Um, Ignacio told us we should have something sour and something hoppy. He did. He said we should have a stout too, but your tray looks a little bare. What can I say? Yeah, well, maybe <laughs> while we're cleaning up the equipment. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Check our uh, feed on Untapped to see if we had extras. Untapped, by the way, we're using your app a lot. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. Some people think you should be a sponsor. Not me. I think it's somebody else at the table. It's but me. Spoiler alert. It is spoiler alert. It's, it's Abigail. Okay. Speaking of uh, tripping animals, um, I think it's time. To get into Listen. the trippingest animal oh of them all. Oh, my God. The walrus. Oh, my God. Let's yeah, let's play a little bit. I'm gonna play um, quite towards the end. Okay, um, that's fine. But yeah, might be the section play. I played already. But we may be listening to it forwards. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna play from about two and a half minutes in. Okay. because I really like the strings that come in during yeah. that one verse. Um, it's it's the last verse and the last, well, the last chorus. They repeat the chorus several times of the song. And I think it's like the most amped up musically of all the verses and choruses. It's like really come to a head at this part. Yeah. Well, the song does. It builds and comes to a head. And then it goes through that long section at the end, yeah. which is very bizarre, which is the part that I played backwards, right? Because yes. the first thing I ever heard of this song was when Steve put this cassette tape in and played side one backwards. Yeah. So it's I Am The Walrus starting at the end and working its way backwards on the side of the cassette tape, right? right? So. Oh, this is my side one favorite. By the way. Well, this is of for a myriad of different reasons my favorite song on the album. Yep. I mean, you, you saw you had to see it coming from about of a course. mile away. And believe it or not, my other two favorite songs on the album are actually on side two. Really? Yeah. Although I I like Fool on a Hill a lot, and I like Magical Mystery Tour a lot. So this song, you got to imagine. So I buy this album, and. I like I said before, I'd never heard it forwards. I'd only listened to it backwards, you know, a bunch of times trying to figure out if there were all these hidden clues. Now, there was precedence for the hidden clue thing, right? Somehow peripherally I knew or it was part of the discussion with these guys with Steve and Steve that there was this whole conspiracy theory in the sixties that Paul McCartney had died in a car crash and that the Beatles had hidden clues, particularly in Sgt. Pepper's, about his death. Mm-hmm. And that, according to the whole theory, he'd been replaced by a lookalike who'd won a Paul McCartney lookalike contest, a guy by the name of Billy Shears. Yes. And, and of course, Billy Shears would still be, like, he would be almost 80 now, still playing this role, right, if this was a real right, conspiracy, right. and still be writing, you know, genius music. <laughs> so he had to be a musical Some genius. Some of which he's already reviewed on the podcast. Yes, exactly. He had to be a musical genius that looked exactly like Paul McCartney, and everybody else involved had to keep it a big secret. I think the gag was that maybe they put the clues there for fun, just to be, just to have some fun. If the clues were really there in that album, it was there as a goof 
It wasn't there because Paul had really died. But what a cool kind of, you know, kind of a cool inside joke to hide all this stuff, right? Well, I think I think the common belief is that conspiracists heard something that wasn't there. Correct. And then they decided to play it correct. up for marketing. That's correct. Or publicity. Maybe, for sure. And some of the stuff's kind of, kind of odd. And like they always talk about the way he's positioned on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Paul I'm talking about. Abby and Road, yet, too. And yet I've seen... Well, by the time you get to Abbey Road, I think they're in on the get. Like they're, I believe the Beatles played it up over time, just because it was in the ether. Yeah. So the I b- totally believe the Abbey Road cover, but like when you look at alternative takes of Abbey Road and you look at alternative takes of Sergeant Pepper, they're in different positions. They're wearing, they're holding different instruments. Like the fact that you know Paul's in a certain spot, and he's holding the only oh, black I instrument see. on the cover. Like he's got the black instrument, therefore he's dead. Or in the, your mother should know, in the in the movie, he's the only one wearing a black carnation and the other three guys are wearing red oh. carnations, right? And they go, well, there weren't any other red flowers on set. Well, and he's holding a bouquet of red flowers. I mean, it, it, like, it makes no sense. So I think they, once there was some uh, kind of discussion of the topic, I think the Beatles totally got into it and totally rearranged that. So, but, but didn't they talk about like Billy Shears is in the song, Sergeant? Yeah, Pepper. they mentioned Billy Shears. Like they totally, pl- I believe that they did this for fun. I think the the more interesting thing when you look at the Sergeant Pepper's cover is the Beatles were trying to put their early career to bed uh, and move on, and that's why there's you know the Beatles are on the cover in these brand new shoots and the suits and they're all wearing mustaches, and off to the side are the Madame Tussauds wax figures of the Beatles looking down at the flowers as if they're paying homage to the dead. Like, they're trying to move on from the mop-top early Beatles stuff and become these more mature artists. I think the gag was they were putting the Beatles, like the Beatles were dead as we knew them. And they hid all this stuff. It ended up being a Paul is dead conspiracy theory. And then as that became a thing, John, who was ornery, no doubt... (laughs) played into that i think he really did play into that so what i'm gonna what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna sh- so here we are we're three kids who hear this backwards album john lennon's just died we have this paul is dead thing in the ether and we start to concoct this conspiracy theory that john isn't dead he actually faked this death and all the clues are in the albums that he's going to do this and i think part of the reason we did this was because elvis had died in 1977 three years earlier and everybody was convinced that Elvis was not dead. Nobody saw him dead. He died at home at Graceland, supposedly on a toilet. And, like, everybody believed that he didn't really die. His album sales went through the roof. He was, you know, yeah. like, he didn't have to tour. He didn't have to go to Vegas and be this bloated figure of his former self. I'm going to fake my death and just, you know, cash in on the royalties from the songs. So now we're in 1983 years later. John Lennon's killed, assassinated. And we're like... Was he? Like, we're starting doing this kind of stuff because we're listening to these songs. Oh, my God. And, and, you and were by the way, we built this, this insane thing in our head. So I have a bunch of clips that I pulled just to kind of, like, to take you through this. So one of the things that was famous was the Revolution Number no. 9, Terminal Devon. This is from the White Album. Like, as they started to play into this, I'm just going to share some clips that shows you, that tells you that they actually 
they understood the backwards thing. Like they intentionally were using backwards song lyrics and going backwards and forth. So here's Revolution Number Nine, the famous part at the beginning where they just say Number Nine repeatedly. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. It's very creepy on its own, right? It is. Number nine. But when you play it backwards, it becomes this. Turn me on, dead man. Turn me on, dead man. So that's a real thing. Now, I don't know how they discovered that. I'm not even sure that's one of the Beatles saying number nine. I, I honestly believe that they may have, in, because these things were recorded on big reel-to-reel tapes, that it got flipped and they realized that number nine somehow became Turn Me On Dead Man. So then it, you can start to wonder, well, did they then plan things to sound like, did they, I want to say this. I'm going to record it the way I want to say it. I'm going to play it backwards. I'm going to memorize the phonetics. Then I'm going to say it and then have it kind of mimic something that I want it to sound like. It's not going to be perfect. Right. And there's precedent, not precedent for this. It actually happened after this. But in David Lynch's uh, Twin Peaks, every time there's a weird sequence where there's a dwarf, he's kind of in a mysterious realm. We don't know who he is. He walks weird because they've clearly filmed him doing everything backwards then reverse the film so he's walking forwards and he speaks that way that's what subtitles in order to make it clear but the actors memorize the phonetics of what it means to say whatever the line is he records it backwards they run the tape forwards and now all of a sudden he's saying something like this is how he's talking it's very cool if you ever get a chance to see it so i in my head i'm like yeah, there's precedent for doing this. I, I, I understand that they may have done this. So, in I Am the Walrus, you played a section where they say this. I'm going to play I Am the part of I Am the Walrus backwards where I'm convinced that I Am the Walrus, I Am the Eggman, I Am the Eggman forwards actually says similar lyrics backwards. So what I think he says there is, Sir Walrus I am, I am the egg I am, or I am the egg man, I am the egg I am. So we're hearing this in the car, we're like, oh my God, it says the same forwards as it does backwards. <laughs> right, we're, we're three geeks in a car in New Jersey in December going, it is, it works backwards and forwards, listen to that, That's right? so funny. Okay, so I, I found a clip, by the way, that describes all these conspiracy theories about Paul is dead. Tells a really good story, and uh, cool. I put it up on our uh, YouTube uh, podcast references uh, section. Okay, but we'll obviously put the link in the show notes, and and now that we have the web page up and running in its in its full uh, form, it, I'll embed the clip so you can watch it. Cool. It's really interesting. I sat through it the other day. It's, it's pretty long, but it's pretty in depth. It talks about all these clues, and it, and it shows how they refute all the clues. This is a section that they always said Paul is dead. Ha ha. Paul is dead. Ha ha. Paul is dead. Ha ha in this section it's not as clear as you would think it is but but i'm gonna play it anyway could you hear that at all yeah it's hard to hear that one but i i believe it's probably in there and that's backwards that is backwards that was played backwards so um it's toward the end of the song just before they go into that long kind of diatribe at the end right well, that, I think that's the, everybody's got one, everybody's got one. Yes. That's the way it is forward, right? right? 
and then you turn it, you play it backwards. And and a lot of people go, everybody smokes pot. They think that says it's so hard to know what oh. they're saying forwards or backwards. It's just a that's true cacophony of crazy lyrics and noise. By the way, the reason he did this was because they were getting notices for writing all these like literary professors were saying, oh, these lyrics are so clever. So John said, yeah, I'll show them. I'm going to write a song that's complete and utter nonsense. And it is. It's right, nonsense. It, it doesn't mean anything. But I've always believed that the lyrics are so weird is because he was trying to find words that would, when you played them backwards, would say things. So when you're talking oh. about Semolina Pilchard climbing up the Eiffel Tower, you go back and listen to that. It's like, well, was there something in there backwards? Like, we listened to this thing 5,000 times to try to figure out if every if there was nuance and everything. So I'm going to play one now that's very bizarre. This is the one where he says, uh, Mark is not part of his death. And we hear this in our heads, and we're like, Mark David Chapman is who shot John Lennon. <gasps> like, Mark is not part oh of God. his death, I right? So, yeah, and so did we. And so that's what this sounds like. Oh my God, I heard it. The answer above all is this. The Eggman. I'm going to play that again. The answer above all is this. The Eggman. Like what? And we hear that, we're like, oh my God. He's telling us that this was all fake. But John is the Eggman. So Mark is not part of his death. The answer above all is this: the Eggman. Oh, so I'm like, so we're right. We're in a car. It's in New Jersey. It's dark. Oh we're insane, right? We're a bunch of lost souls in the arts program, and we hear that. And we're like, oh, this is clear. Now listen to this. He is not sick. He isn't sick. They had said that Mark David Chapman, you know, clearly he was a, he had mental health issues and a blah 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 blah. No, he is not sick. He isn't sick. Listen to this one. Did you hear? He is not sick. He isn't sick. So walrus I am. I am the egg I am. I am the egg I am. It sounded like at the beginning it said Mark isn't sick. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? Oh my god. So, <laughs> like... We are so wrapped up in this, Abby. I don't even know how to begin to... How could he possibly predict this 13 years in advance? Exactly. And know that Mark was going to be the scapegoat. But we don't have any concept of of 13 years or what it means or anything, right? We're like, we're in a car and we're like, oh, this is obviously what's going on. (laughs) So... You then, guys were like Jay Anon. We were, yeah, we were Jay Anon. Jay Anon, get Lenin, it? Lenanon. Lenanon. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> Hi. We're active members of Lenanon. Lenanon. Um, yeah. So, then I get the album and I play it forwards. And this is a closing section that I want you to hear. Now, there's a bunch of stuff in here. The first one's going to be hard to hear. I'm going to play the whole piece. The guy comes in under his breath. He goes, come bury me. Then the next guy says, bury my body. And then the next guy says, there's no doubt it's John. And then the last guy says, oh, John, you're dead. All right. If you don't think, I was in my bedroom in New Jersey playing this album. And when I heard that, I got chilled. And that's what this sounds like.
Right? I, I listened to this section of the song. About I heard, five oh, John, you're dead. It's, sure. it's a little tricky. The, the one that where he says, um, Come bury me, he's buried deep in that. Uh, and then the second one, you know, bury my body. Uh, and it, it's it's very bizarre. And I heard all that in there, and I was like, oh, there's, there's no doubt it's John. Oh, John, you're dead. It's like, I am completely freaked out by this song, right? So, But that doesn't that doesn't track with your theory. No, I know. But if they're saying, oh, John, you're dead, right, your but we're theory thinking, is no, John's actually not We're thinking dead. he's deflecting it all forwards, and all the real clues are backwards. Mark's not part of his death. He isn't sick. He oh, isn't so sick. that was forward. That was forward. That last one you played was forward. Yeah, that was the thing when oh. I bought the album and I could play it on my turntable. Now I'm hearing all these things. I was completely and utterly confused and lost and just totally. I listened to this song. My parents must have thought I was nuts, right? <laughs> I had this thing on my turntable in my bedroom and I played it endlessly for days and days and days and days. And then also other stuff on the album, which we'll get to later. You know, Strawberry Fields has the I Buried Paul thing, which we yes. may talk about when we get there. But we, we were so fascinated by this. We had a friend who worked at the radio station, WSNJ in New Jersey. Chris Caldwell, you know him. He, he spent to the house a few times. Guy I went to grammar school with. He got a job working Sundays at the radio station. He wanted to be a DJ. Ultimately, he did. He, worked, he was a DJ for a very long time. He does voiceover work now. Cool. Uh, really cool guy. But he had access to a reel-to-reel tapes because he worked at the radio station. So we would take other albums in and play them on turntables to reel-to-reel and then flip the tapes uh. and listen to other songs. So we had, uh, and the one we really focused in on was um, Looking Through the Glass Onion because historically, obviously, I Am the Walrus has a lot to do with the walrus and the carpenter, which was in Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. reverse audio and the mirror imagery of Through the Looking Glass was always for us the fascinating connection. So when you write a song called uh, Looking Through a Glass Onion, we were like, oh, there's got to be clues. And so we made poor Chris. <laughs> we put so many so many songs on tape and played them backwards and wrote notes. And I can't even begin to tell you what everything, what everything was. <laughs> but there was a, there's a section uh, of Glass Onion where uh, he says, Paul is the walrus. Because now it's all about... Backwards or forward? This is backwards. Okay. And it's Paul is the walrus is what you're listening for. Uh, but, but the other thing we found that was really interesting is there was this really bizarre outro on um, I'm So Tired, where he just says gibberish. I'm going to play the gibberish here for you. Clearly gibberish, right? Listen again. But when you play that backwards... It says, Paul is dead, miss him, miss him, miss him. Oh, I don't like that. Paul is dead, man, miss him, miss him, miss him. It's creepy when it swells at the end into the music. It's yeah, really creepy, right. man. So... Like, I'm convinced Lennon put this stuff... You know, he loved playing with audio, and he's historically... Like, they clearly played music backwards and forwards with other tracks. And the bottom line is, I think they did a lot of this for fun. They were like inside jokes. And um, But here's the thing. 
remember we had this magazine we were trying to produce. We had no motivation for what to do or how to do it. Sure. John Lennon dies. And we start diving into this music and the hidden clues and all this kind of stuff. So Gimber and I come up with this idea. What if we wrote a magazine that had all these hidden clues that Steve Moore had quit working on the magazine because the administration wouldn't publish the gothic issue of the magazine? Could we get away with that? Could we hide the clues? Remember, they wouldn't approve the gothic issue. Right. Could we hide the clues in such a way that they would approve the magazine? So we created this idea for a fantasy issue where we wrote a bunch of sort of... They were stories that were kind of Lewis Carroll or children's stories. A lot of the characters reappear. If there's a rooster in there, that's the headmaster of the school. If there's a hen, it's the assistant headmaster. If there's a rabbit, it's Vince Farinaccio, the moderator of the magazine. And we, if there's a walrus, it's Steve. And so Steve, Steve Moore, Steve Moore, walrus. Steve is the walrus. And the idea was we would hide these clues. So we, we go to Steve, we go, Steve, we think we're going to do this, Steve Moore. We think we're going to do this issue where we, we hide, we tell this whole story behind the scenes um, about why you quit the magazine. He thought it was so much fun that he actually participated anonymously. <gasps> oh. So he did the front cover. <laughs> oh, he course. posed for the front cover. He didn't do any other artwork. We had to find another guy to do all the artwork. But he wrote poems and other things anonymously under a pseudonym. What and was the pseudonym? The pseudonym was Captain Shellpile because there was a town near where he lived called Shellpile from the oyster industry. And that was always a running joke for us, the town of Shellpile. So he, he called himself Captain Shellpile and he wrote several poems for the magazine. And what I'm going to do is I, I have gone and pulled out. I had an issue. I have several issues of that magazine laying around. I scanned one. So wow. I'm going to make the magazine available for anybody who wants to go and try to find the clues oh my to tell us That's why so Steve fun. quit the magazine. Um, and well, it's, now they know. Well, they know what the story is, but they don't know how to find the clues. That's true. At least they know because the problem with they it do is. They know why Steve quit the magazine. It was of a time. So you had to know that some of this stuff, like, it's going to be hard for people who weren't in New Jersey in 1980 at that school to recognize who, when the name La Rosa comes up, that's the headmaster's name. Oh, oh, oh. And okay. things like that. Sure. But, but there are all these hidden clues in the magazine that we buried in there. And, by the way, the administration uh, approved the magazine. It was another expensive one because it had a, color, had a color cover. It also had a three-fold, tri-fold insert called The Evolution of Vicissitudes, which was um, monkey demand to walrus. <laughs> and it's a very big, complicated thing. But of all the things that almost didn't get it approved was, we had a page in there, the ninth page of the magazine. I typed the number nine repeatedly on a typewriter. We made photocopies, and we made this giant galley that just said nine all the way on the page. And I got some vinyl letters, and I put page nine in it. it just says page nine. And when we went to... We got called to the office when we submitted the magazine, Gimber and I. And we had to defend the magazine. And he was, the follower Rosa was there looking through the magazine. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he stopped on page nine. He had a real problem with page nine. Of all the things that are in there, this page nine. It was just a nine, page full of the I can nine. show you. I had the thing sitting here. And he looked at it and he goes, uh, what is this? I go, it's page nine. <laughs> he goes, what's it mean? I said, it means it's the ninth page of the magazine. Like, And there, that and there one, was no hidden clue in there that. There's no clue in that one. It's a red herring. It threw him so off that he missed every other that obvious. That is so and, and trust me when funny. I tell you, they're not obvious. The, these nine. things are very deep, 
deep, deep in this magazine. But anyway, I'm going to put it up if anybody wants to go look at it and have a crack at it. Uh, it should be fun. So that so that I am the walrus became this big to do for us. Of course. And uh, and I so again, this is by far my favorite song on the album for deep, deep, deep course, emotional reading. For emotional reasons. Oh my gosh, so that anyway. is so funny, and that is so much more creative than anything I ever did in high school. <laughs> like you and your friends were like a special breed. Well, you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell. I will say this. You know, we grew up in, in small towns in New Jersey. There was no internet. There was no, um, you know, there was three channels on TV. Like a creative out like an outlet like this was really, really, really important. Yeah. We used to sit in the basement of my house and work on this magazine on Friday nights. Three high school students. This is what we did on Friday nights. You know what I mean? Like, well, at least you weren't out causing trouble well, and that's, doing psychedelics. But that's, that's correct. That's <laughs> correct. We were sitting in the basement working on these weird poems and these weird things for this magazine. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And um, but the inspiration was, if you know, sadly, the inspiration was the death of John Lennon, and kind of re-experiencing those conspiracy theories about Paul dying that made us go, wait, we have an answer for how to proceed with our high school magazine. And if not for that, I, Gimber and I would have floundered. Yeah. And I think, you know, and Steve Moore, to his credit, we came up with this idea that was really a really good idea, and he was all in. He couldn't admit he wanted to come back, so he didn't technically come back. Well, and that's sort of, I mean, that sort of parallels the whole Paul is dead, but he actually wasn't dead. Right. Steve quit the magazine, but he didn't. Technically, he didn't quit the magazine. And God bless him. You know, back then you did. There was no Photoshop. You couldn't do the kinds of things that we could play around with in our sleep now. And he made this cover of Sgt. Pepper's for the album cover with an exacto knife and photos, like all the heads in the background. He cut out of magazines, but remember, they have to be similar sizes. They got to be sized right. And then we shot some of the pictures with Polaroid cameras and cut them out with an exacto knife. It's hysterical what we did to get that. We did some on 35 millimeter camera, and uh, it 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 just it took the school by storm. It was such a great thing, and like that's the not the highlight of my life in 1981. You know, a 40 page student literary magazine. Yeah, and also maybe don't say that in front of your daughter who was not, born I said many years later. I said <laughs> it's not the highlight of my life a literary magazine from 40 years ago. Okay, all right, but it's. But it was very cool to go back and kind of re-experience that in retrospect and realize, you know, we did some really cool things. And, and, and there's been some other cool things that have come up as a result of that. But it's, it's been great. Th- those guys were, they're, they're both geniuses in their own right. And to be able to work with them on just a silly little project like this was so much fun. And it all started with a busted A-track, a cassette tape in an old car in a parking lot in Millville. And that's what you did for fun in New Jersey in 1980. Anyway, I think we should rate this beer because we got to flip the album. This is to the end of side one. We do. I have one important question. Okay. Did anyone ever figure it out? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, again, I, I'm going to put it up. Maybe some people can figure it out. I don't think anybody's ever figured it out. No offense, but you and Moore and Gimber are not on the level of the Beatles. You think? You don't have millions of fans who Correct. can comb through every little Well, that's word why, that's why I'm reviewing this on this podcast, because we have... Because we do have we millions have, of fans. We have 20s of fans. You and I... 
There are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens of fans who may pour through this and go, what a pair of idiots. But anyway, it's just... A trio of idiots. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So once again, we're to drinking... your creativity. We're drinking uh, a juicy IPA, a hazy IPA. Called Everhaze. For me, this is a 3.75. That's interesting. I'm going to give it a 3.75 as well. Wow. 3.75. Why? Why 3.75? Yeah. Um, I would have liked a little, just a little more flavor at the end. Like okay. it, like the, like it's any, very, any look, flavor. This is an easy. No, no, <laughs> any no, no, kind no, of no, 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 no. Well, that's interesting you say that because you know I do like a, I do like a hoppy beer. I know. Would you like a hoppy so, finish? So, would you like a no, I like finish? a, I like a sweeter, little sweetness on the end of that. Would have pushed that up to a four for me. I uh, maybe they should like, put marshmallows. In. Like the juice uh, truncates the hop taste. Which uh, I like. And and then the flavor at the end of that, like the, the juicy part, is mellow. And maybe a, just a little more burst of flavor on the end of that. And I probably would have given that one a four. It's between a three, seven, five, and a four, but I'm stuck, you know, untapped. Yep. I'm stuck with these quarter point uh, ratings. You know, let's let's move it to a tenth so I can really see. I think quarter points are more yeah, than we, sufficient. We know, we know how you feel. So <laughs> well, moving that, on, we have like one... Too. Yeah, we got to move on to side two, and uh, we only have one we beer only left. Have one beer left. So we yeah, better we, stretch we, it. We mismanaged our beer to song ratio. No, I'm point. glad we had. I'm glad we had a beer to sip on during that long story, because I was not <laughs> doing a lot of talking during all that. Sorry, okay. you knew that was coming. This is this is a family episode more than a music episode. Yes, it is. Okay, so let's go to "Hello Goodbye," which is track seven, but more effectively the side two track one. about this song it's very nice um i think it's an excellent way to teach children about opposites <laughs> the whole song is opposites yes right it's a very simply written song it is very simple i think i mean it's nice it's pretty it's poppy this was the single that they released in advance of the movie so oh, this was a single. Weird. okay yeah this was a single unrelated to the it's sort of the helen wheels story of um this album right it was a single that was released and Capital demanded, you know, when they were putting the full album together for the U.S., this song appeared on there because it was a very popular single mm-hmm. in England. I like this song very much. I agree with you. It's the dumbest set of lyrics ever. But this is probably like my third or fourth favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah. I like this one. Like, I like this one a lot. It's just very, it's got a very catchy hook. It does. And, uh, it does. That's the It's fact. a real bouncy song. Mm-hmm. And. So I'm a I'm a big fan of the song actually. Well, and it's very like positive. It's like yeah, you are saying all these negative things, right? And here I am being this optimist. Yes. And you know you're you're saying goodbye, but I'm saying 
hello. Right. And I don't want to go into the dichotomy of McCartney versus Lennon, but, you know, McCartney's songs on the front side, just to be clear, are Full on the Hill, Your Mother Should Know, and Magical Mystery Tour. And then this is his song on the back side. Oh, okay. I mean, and this in Penny Lane. Right? Yes. So, like, wow. you can see the the bouncy, poppy sort of Paul stuff, right? You can, you can already see the branch points where, and then Lennon's writing, you know. Lennon is saying goodbye. Strawberry Fields. And Paul is saying hello. Yeah, you get a sense of that. You know, Lennon's written, written I Am The Walrus, Strawberry Fields, um, you know. Uh, but he did write All You Need Is Love, which we're going to get to later. So, but this is a very, I like this song very much. You know, again, it puts me into McCartney camp again, which, you know, am I there because that was the first Beatle I discovered as a solo artist? Or do I, am I drawn toward that versus the other stuff that maybe That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But and I do in like the, the song. And famously in the Battle of Lennon versus McCartney. Yeah. I'm a George Harrison. Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, I was talking to Gimber by email uh, the other day in advance of this episode, just to warn him I was going to name check him, and uh, he said to me in one of the emails, I always thought of you and Moore as the Lennon and McCartney, and that I was kind of the George Harrison, or maybe even Ringo, and I was like, I, I didn't write him back yet, it was in the last email he sent me, and I was like, you know, George is my favorite Beatle now, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know Gimber personally, but I've seen him in some of your old college films. Well, by the way, speaking of a college film, um, I took the magazine. Yeah. And when I was in college, I had to do a film. I was a senior in college. It was a bit about 1985. My final project, I came up with this weird idea that I was going to pretend that all that material recreated that was derivative of the Beatles, yeah. like the Sgt. Pepper's issue that I just shared, the Yellow Magazine, all that. I was going to turn the tables and I pretend that we were writers for a magazine in Oxford University, Gibber and I, and that we uh, were plagiarized by the Beatles, that they <laughs> took our covers and made their albums look like oh ours. Oh, my God. And we could not get any satisfaction. We couldn't get any, like, we were like, <laughs> you're plagiarizing us, and nobody would pay attention. So I made this movie in college. It's okay. Gilbert and I played played two college professors that supposedly are at Johns Hopkins, which is where I went to college, and we're complaining about how we got ripped off and nobody cares. And, uh, in fact, that's one of the lines in there. It's been 15 years. Nobody cares. (laughs) And I'm like, at the time, it had only been 15 years since the Beatles broke up. You know, it was so weird. But I, uh, I digitized that. VHS tape that I made in 1985 and I will provide a link for anybody who wants oh to sit through gosh. that. What's interesting about that, it shows some of the visual cues that we put into the magazines about the, the Steve Moore was no longer with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Not the hidden clues in the, right. in the actual uh, text, but the uh, visual cues. So it's kind of fun. It, it compares our cover to Sgt. Pepper's and shows, look how the Beatles ripped off this thing with the drum and that kind of stuff. So anyway, Speaking of old movies. And so if you want to see Gimber, that's your opportunity because he is brilliant in that movie. All right. Let's have our last beer. Okay. This is a good one, too. What's it called? This is Bandito. So this was the one with the raccoon on the cover. Yes. And what's the style? Bandito is an American IPA with mosaic hops, single hop, session IPA. They say nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, it is a very solid session IPA. 
Um, so pretty mellow. Got a little sweetness to it. It's not overly sweet. Certainly not overly hoppy. And again, it's another one of those lighter kind of things you could drink quite frequently. Uh, yeah, that's a good beer. Yeah. It's mm. true. It, it is It is nothing more, nothing less. I mean, it's like just hop. There's no fruit in it. No, it's no, no. Just well, when you say it's just hop, it's not. It doesn't. It's not burning your mouth out like no, no, no. Like the West Coast. But that's stuff. the only flavor in there. Yeah, a little hint of citrus, I think. Subtle, and that's probably coming out of the hops. I don't think it's because they use citrus fruit. All right, let's play All a little right. bit of Strawberry Fields. Oh, let's. trippy too oh for sure yeah so the history of this song just so you know this was a single that was released before sergeant peppers oh wow so they did two songs this was john's strawberry fields penny lane was paul's you're going to play that next they released that as an a-side and a b-side single together the other thing they did strawberry fields was the a-side yeah and penny lane was the b-side that's not what i would have chosen interesting (laughs) they they released it as that two-sided single both you know singles in their own right obviously as a promotional thing for sergeant peppers the other thing they did that was really interesting was they made music videos for both of these songs to promote them and because they were going to use them on tv they had a rule in england where you could not lip sync to music in england that was so artists had to come on and play live on tv but nobody had wow but there was no like for a guy or for a band that was making a music video they they did the whole video without singing any of the lines of dialogue or mimicking it so it's just it's very like sergeant peppers is very cool out by a tree and they got a piano and a bunch of strings it's a very cool video penny lane is even i think a better video they're walking through liverpool and some of it then they're riding white horses out in the woods and they sit around like they're having tea like it's right out of you know like the manhatter's tea party in alice in wonderland they're beautiful videos and dare I say, the first music videos ever produced, right? Like, they are what you would find on MTV, you know, 20 years later, 25 yeah, years yeah, later. Yeah. I found them. They're on available on YouTube. They'll, the links will be in the show notes so you can go watch those two videos. They're super cool to watch. Um, they're very fun and weird. And, of course, they don't say one line of the song in the videos. It's just they're making eyes. They're looking around. They're doing this weird stuff out in the woods very cool stuff but so they released that as a pair of singles so again when Capitol wanted to build the album they grabbed those two singles and added them to the backside because they've never been released in the U.S. on an album so yeah so as we mentioned before the next track on the album is Penny Lane and this is my side two favorite Penny Lane there is a barber showing photographs of every head he's had the pleasure to know Stop and say 
like that song you played a very long clip I did I love that song um, the one thing I did want to point out is he says the banker never wears a Mac yeah I <laughs> know yeah, we had a long discussion I now know what a Mac is right that's funny to look it that up funny yeah I, I I love this song I just yeah. think it's like pure and simple and beautiful yeah it's a, it's probably you know I get it it's probably my second favorite song on the entire what we're going to call an album. You know, I, I would say I am the Walrus. I would say this is number two, number three is coming up, and probably on the cusp is Hello Goodbye. Believe it or not. Interesting. And what's so weird about that is that clearly I like the more uplifting songs. Yeah. Like I like I am the Walrus because of all the emotional connections I right. have to that, and it is a complex and fun song. But quite honestly, these poppy, kind of catchy tunes are are much more in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So maybe I am the McCartney of the group maybe after you all. are. Although John did write the last one I'm going to say that I like. So they, they each, <laughs> you know, they kind of split the split the difference on this album. Split the difference. Next is Baby You're a Rich Man, which I had heard before, but never really listened to. Really? So this was an interesting song for me. Tell me more. Let's play a little bit of that. How does it feel to be one of the beautiful joked that I'm going to marry Rich. You know, that's my life's goal. But I like this song because the Beatles are telling me, you don't need to take a man's money. Baby, you're a rich man. Maybe I can be a rich man one day. Yes. (laughs) Why would you think otherwise? I mean, now now I have this this song telling me everything I need to know. Right. (laughs) Baby, I'm a rich man. That's right. (laughs) It's all going to be on the this podcast. It's going to make you independently wealthy. I hope so. We get that untapped sponsor. Yeah, well, (laughs) untapped, get on that. Come on, untapped. Help us out. Um, Yeah, I just think the song. Yeah, I like the song a lot, and uh, it's a John Lennon song. That's yeah, uh, I figured it sounds sounds like him. Bouncy John Lennon tune, you know. And, uh, it's very catchy. It gets stuck in my it's head. It's very catchy. It gets stuck in my Every, head a lot. Really, three of the four songs on this side of the album are catchy. Pop. Well, they were singles. Yes, exactly. So kind exactly. of designed that way. Right. Most of them were, I would say. Although the last one, the one we're going to talk about now, is a single for a completely different reason. I just think with some of the power of the other stuff on this side of the album, to me, that one 
It's like, to me, the one that uh, I think of the least. It's like my least favorite on this side of the album. Really? Yeah, it is. And I don't know why that is. But I, but again, I really like the first song on the side. So. Well, it's not, it's not one of the famous ones. No, no, no. Well, maybe you came at it having never heard it before, or maybe having very little familiarity with it, taking another look at it, and I came to this album having played it, oh, I don't know, thousands of times. <laughs> since my, since that's what you know. I played some songs on here probably a thousand times <laughs> in about a two-month period of Would time. Would you say you have 10,000 hours of oh listening my to this God. album? <laughs> oh, my God. I should be an expert on this album. I put my 10,000 hours in. 9,000 of those hours were on I Am The Walrus, and 8,000 of those hours were on the last 45 seconds of the song. <laughs> but, yeah, no. So I have always liked the song, but of the ones... But, again, I like this side as a side way better than side one okay, I, I, I like and, and again I know it's a collection of singles and they don't really go together and it's not really an album in the classic sense of right. the word but side B of this album to me is the stronger of the two sides not that I don't have my favorites on side A I'm just saying yeah. I'm gonna, you know listen to a half of this album this is the half that plays better when I bought the album no I played side A repeatedly yeah. for all the obvious reasons. But, yeah. But now I'd rather listen to side B. Yeah. But the good news is I have it as a CD, so I can listen to the whole thing straight through without skipping. Oh, boy. All right, let's play the 11th and final track on the album, the aforementioned Lennon song and your third favorite on the album by process of elimination. All you need is love. Nothing you can make can't be made. No one you can save but can't be saved Nothing you can do but you can learn how to be you in time It's easy Everyone knows this song. Yes, of course. It's a classic. I don't, it's not exactly speaking in opposites like Hello Goodbye was, but it has that same kind of repetition, right? Yes, yeah. Nothing you can know that can't be known. Nothing you can see that can't be seen. That doesn't rhyme. That wasn't the next line. (laughs) You know, whatever he said. I will say that if you're going to think of a quintessential theme of a Beatles song, what they stood for in the late 60s, all you need is love is the anthem that would do that. Absolutely. And what's interesting was, so they were tasked with writing a song for a satellite broadcast. They had a bunch of artists perform live on, via satellite from different countries all over the world. I think it might have been as many as 14 different countries wow. that participated. So the Beatles were going to represent England, and they were tasked with writing a song for the show. And so Lennon took a crack at it, and McCartney took a crack at it. Lennon's one out, It's All You Need Is Love. And they recorded that live uh, for a satellite broadcast. That's what you're listening to there. And in the uh, background singers there at the end when they're singing the chorus is uh, Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones. Like they had a a cast of characters there on set. I tried to find the clip to share with everybody of just the song. I couldn't find it, but I did find a clip that describes how they, you know, the writing and the making of the song and the whole project that I, I put up on the on the YouTube channel to explain what that was. What was McCartney's song? Nobody ever really said, but there's a lot of discussion that they think it's your mother should know. Really? Yeah. So the idea was to do something that was very positive and represented your country. And so obviously all you need is love is the quintessential of Beatles course. song. 
for a lot of what they wrote all throughout their career. And so I I love this song because of that. And it's interesting because Lennon had his dark days in writing music. Uh, but this is about as positive as you could be for a John Lennon song in that era. So I, I've always liked this song. It is my third favorite song on the album. Honestly, I'm a little disappointed in McCartney. You think if all, that was what you he think proposed. your mother should know is going to represent England in a positive light? I mean, it's just a rumor. Relax. It's a nice song, but like, it's not. Well, have you played it backwards? No, have you? No, I don't think I have. <laughs> but my point was that maybe there's more to it than we know. Maybe. All right. So the anyway. Main thing- the, the thing I love the most about this song is that at the end, he reprises, quote-unquote lo- reprises, she loves you. Yes. I mean, okay, first of all, anytime an artist reprises anything, I get right. chills. Like in a musical, you know, if you bring in a musical motif from yes. earlier, in the, like I just get chills. But this was a reprise from how many years One ago? One of their first singles and also again when I say All You Need Is Love is really what the Beatles were all about for their entire career, right? Yes. It, that, bringing that in harkens back to when they oh first started gosh, writing songs. It's right? perfect. It's right. perfect. Right. This is a more more. it's a simple song about the world needing love and All You Need I mean She Loves You is a very simple love song but the whole thematically it just it ties yeah, together so it's nicely amazing. Yeah. it's I, amazing yeah, I love this song very much and it's the and it because of that it's a perfect closing track yes if I were yes. to resequence you know if I were to even just to resequence the back half this would still be the closing track it's it's perfect I don't think I'd resequence this I mean really it starts off with a really poppy single and then it does the pair of singles together you know Strawberry Fields yeah. and Penny Lane the way they were sticks the extra song in the one that I consider my least favorite <laughs> And then this one, I think it's a, I think it's a very nice side. So I wouldn't resequence this side. Well, that that brings us to the end of our uh, music review. Well, we do we have, have to review this yes, last beer, we have to finish which the beer. Uh, I liked very much. As I you said, you have maybe half of a sip left, I have and enough I have. In the, I'm going to put it on my most tongue. Most of the beer left. I'm going to have put this on my tongue <laughs> just to get the last. I know what I'm going to rate it, but let me just see. Yeah, it's still a three seven five. I'm three seven five in that one. It's a three point two five for me. Really, a three point two five? Yeah, I'm just not. I. It's simple. It's simple. I'm just not super impressed by it. It's simple and it's not the flavor that I like. So. Right, right. right. <laughs> if it was simple and a flavor you like, you give it a higher rate. Right, right, sure. Right. So there's not a lot to say about it. Yeah, but yeah it's um, yeah, three two five. Yeah, I, for session IPAs, I thought that was a very good one, and uh, so I'm going to give it a 3.75. So I will write those numbers down. I hope I remember what they are in a second. And uh, I think that concludes our really deep dive into... Extremely I, deep. I think... Uh, our you longest know, episode. It will be our longest <laughs> episode. But again, we talk about beer, music, and family. This Not was family heavy. This was family heavy, and we knew it was going to be that. I believe I have to assign you an album next. I think that's the protocol. So tell me, so what do we got next? We will be listening to a little album called Off to the Races by Jukebox the Ghost. <laughs> you're digging deep in your what? What? Jukebox the what? The ghost? <laughs> Jukebox the ghost. That's the name of the band. Yes. Oh, my God. All right. Do you know anything? 
No, but listen, based on what you've given me so far, I'm going to go in blind and love it, I'm sure. I'm but sure. I don't know what, I don't <laughs> even know what to make of that. Well, Off to the Races is the album? That's the album, okay. Off to the Races. All right, Off to the Races by Jukebox the Ghost. I can't wait to hear what that's about. You can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at popsonhopspod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that is something that interests you. And we now have a fully redesigned website, popsonhopspod.com, that includes bonus material, photos from our, you know, recordings of these episodes and from the extensive work that Barry does on editing the cover photos for these. Um, Again, that's popsonhopspod.com, and it's really cool. Check it out. And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. You say goodbye and I say hello. Hello, goodbye. Hello, hello. I don't know why you say goodbye. I say hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Goo goo goodbye. Oh my god.